however it is easy for you to do and just say, I want to Jesus, but at first got themselves ready. If I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. If you come and lay hands on my daughter, I know she'll live. How many times people declared what it was they needed to be done just asked that Jesus would do it. And Jesus always said, okay, I'll come. I'll go. I'll do that. But they had to come and they had to ask. Never, ever be hesitant about asking God for anything. And don't ever get to a point where you just say, well, it should be mine, so I'm just going to go on and believe that it is. You need sometimes a point that goes back and says, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, I asked, and God did this. I received that. Don't ever lose sight of that. We're missing a whole lot of folks here today. A lot of people are traveling, but it's good to see you here. And we can still put that same demand on God. How many of y'all enjoyed that song, that last song we did, the new one? I don't know how you couldn't, but I mean, that's just a, that's a beautiful song. That's from a church over in Singapore, I believe, uh, City Harvest Church. And if you go up on YouTube, you can see all kinds of songs that they've done. Isn't that just a wonderful thing? Put all those things right on up there so you all can sit back and see that. And um, we just captured that from YouTube. I tried six different ways to get it off of there and put it on so it didn't look like the last thing we did from there. And uh, finally, we had the last one to work and uh, and look look pretty good and be able to, to play it so that we can actually put it on a computer that's not connected to the Internet and be able to play it. So that's what we had to, to try and overcome and do. But... Um, Oh, it was, a, it was a beautiful song. Just the words of that were, were great. The God I know. Who is the God that you know? Is the God that you know a God who condemns you? Or is the God that you know the one who gives you His righteousness? Because you know what? No matter what, we're not good enough to do it. Hmm. Well, we're going to finish up where we left off last week. And if you would, you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. There was a story of a little boy who wanted $100 very badly. And he prayed for weeks, but nothing happened. So he decided to write a letter to God requesting $100. When the postal authorities received the letter, they saw the letter addressed addressed God, USA. And so they decided decided on their own to just send it on up to the president. And they sent it up to the president. The president opened the letter, saw the request for $5, or I'm sorry, for, for $100. And he told his secretary, he says, look... $5 $5 is probably going to be a whole lot to this kid. Just put $5 in an envelope and send it on back to him. I'm sure he'll be thrilled at this. So the President of the United States asked his secretary to send this letter off. And so she sent the letter off, $5, back to the child. The child got the letter in the mail. Well, he proceeded to write a second letter. Again, sent it to God, USA. And once again, the postal authorities saw it, forwarded it up to the President. The President opened it up and said, God, I thank you for sending me the, five, the, the, the money. But it seems that you sent it through Washington, D.C. And the folks down in Washington took out $95 worth of taxes. (laughs) Oh, my. Well, it's good that we can come to God with our requests, that we can come to God for the things we, we need. Aren't you glad that God is concerned about your finances? We told you last week, and someone told it to me. I didn't go through and count them all up. But someone told me that the most... The most talked about topic in the Word of God is prayer. But the second topic, if you go through and find out how many verse references there are to it, the second most talked about topic is money. Now, if you want to go through and count them all up yourself and find out if that's so, 
Go right ahead. I didn't do, go back through and count it up myself. I just uh, took what someone else said. And, and I can sure think of a whole lot of places in the Bible where it's talking about money. Because God's concerned about our money. Because how many know our money dictates what's, what's going on in our life? Most times it seems like we don't have enough. Most times there's more need than there is money. We spend uh, quite a few hours a week working for money. We spend a bunch of other hours in a day taking care of that money. We spend some more hours after that spending that money. <laughs> some of you spend some time at nighttime dreaming about more money. But whatever it is, we do spend a lot of time, a lot of our time in a week is taken up with money. And that's not something to be condemned. Because the Word of God tells us that if we don't work, you don't, that working is a good thing. And that God wants, us to, wants to bless the work of our hands. He wants to, whatever it is we put our hand to, He wants it to be successful. So we have a God who's concerned about money, who wants us to be prosperous and to have good things. He wants you to have extra so that you can give to people who need and not just always have to be receiving. That's what He wants us to do. But we're not all quite there yet, are we? We're working on things. We're getting things ready. So we want to see what the Word of God has to say about finances. We've been on this series on hope for a while now and looking at the things that the Word of God tells us about hope. We want to spend some more time looking at this area of finances. We spent some time on healing. That Jesus wants us healed. Sometimes we think we don't always know that God wants us healed. But God wants us healed. God wants us well. God does not want us diseased or sick. If so, then Jesus who went about on this earth doing the will of the Father would have made somebody sick. Would have uh, made somebody ill. But He didn't do that. He always made people well. Always made people well. Our God's will is that you be healthy and whole. And we went through the Word of God and looked at Scriptures, not just one or two. We looked through quite a few Scriptures to see that that was done. We, uh, last week we covered a number of Scriptures. And we're not going to go through all of them again this week. Just looking at what the will of the Father is. What is the will of the Father as far as money was concerned? That we see that He, he wills that we have favor. If we have favor with people, then people like to do things for us. How many are glad we have favor? The Word of God says you have favor. Jesus grew in favor with God and man. We looked at other scriptures that talked about favor, that we should have favor. And the reason you're going to have favor is because you're going to work harder than most other people because you're working as unto God and not unto man. A verse we didn't get to was in Matthew chapter 6. In verse 24, I want to read this for you. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve money, in other words. You can't serve money, you serve God. But we have money, we work for money, and money can be a part of our life, but we never get to the place where we serve it. We always serve God. And this is what we must be careful about. Because it is very easy to go from serving God to serving money. The Word of God does not say that money is the root of all evil. It's a very misquoted scripture. The Word of God does actually say the love of money is the root of all evil. Because there are people who have money and are sinners. But there are also people who have no money and are sinners. Right? How many of y'all know we've had money? We've not had money. And in all those times, we've all been sinners. Money doesn't cause you to sin. 
But the love of money can be a problem. So we want to make sure that even though we, we uh, work for money, we manage money, we do things with money, that we don't fall in love with it. We fall in love with God. He's the one we want to love. And if God says, give all your money up, go over here and do this, you'll go ahead and do it because you serve one master, not two. You're not serving money, you're serving God. He then goes on. Notice what he says here, though. Let me read verse 24 again. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Therefore, verse 25, in other words, on the basis of that, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he says, because of this, because you cannot serve both, you can only serve one. On the basis of that, I say to you, do not worry about your life. On the basis of what he just said, if I worry about my life, what master am I serving? Am I not serving money? This is Jesus' words. It's not my words and not anybody else's words. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. You can't serve both. Therefore, on the basis of what I just said, because, of all, because that is true, do not worry about your life. If you want to find out, am I serving God? Are you worried about your life? Well, you just don't know what I face. Doggone, if Jesus, when he said these words, just didn't know what it was you were going through. <laughs> Come on now. Jesus knew us before we were even born. The Father knew us before we were even born. He counts the hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through. And he still wrote these scriptures down. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. How many of you all know it's a good thing to be, to have um, stuff to eat? How many like having stuff to eat at home? This is good. <laughs> we, we all like having stuff to drink. We all like having stuff to wear. See, some of you all use wisdom. I'm just in a habit. I like to wear a suit when I go to church. Just something I got into a habit a while ago. Some of you folks who are not in that habit and wore other things were in wisdom, it seems today, right? I may end up taking this coat off before we get going here. <laughs> we try and make sure that the air conditioning is going and that it is uh, not so cold that the ladies are, are uh, feeling shivered. We don't want that to happen. So we've always told our ushers, watch the ladies, don't worry about the men. So if I take my uh, coat off, Ray will not act on or respond to that in any way. But if some of you ladies put something on, he will respond to that. He will, he will take care of that. But we have to make sure we take care of those things. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, sure it is. But food and clothing make up a big part, don't they? Look Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What's a bird always doing when you, when you watch the bird? Either eating or looking for food. Constantly. You, look, you find a bird, if it's not sleeping, it's eating or looking for food to eat. Just all the time, just going out there, just constantly looking for stuff to eat. Eating takes up a lot of its day. It doesn't have any barns, doesn't have a refrigerator. It has to go out and if it wants to eat, it's got to go out there and find it. And there's other birds that are out there looking for the same kind of food. They all love it when you put little bird seed things out there because they can go over there and eat some of that. So they neither sow nor reap, gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Remember, we serve, we worship the God 
that we know. He asked the question, are you not of more value than they? To some people, we are not more valuable than they. When you get into a lifestyle where you are concerned more about the food, when you're worried about what you're going to eat, when you're worried about your life, when you're worried about your body, when you get into that lifestyle, you are worshiping a God that you do not know loves you more than birds. If you look out there and you say, well, you know, that bird's taken care of. That bird's got food. That bird has stuff to wear. How many of y'all know birds are clothed pretty nice? They all look pretty good. They don't go to Macy's. They don't go to Kohl's. They don't go to the thrift store. But they're clothed pretty nice. I mean, they all look, look good. We've got bird watchers out there to go out there and just look at the birds and see how they're dressed. They're all interested in that. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Please understand that you are of more value than a bird. You have more value to God than a bird. Did, did the Father send the Son to die for birds? Did the Father send the Son to die for you? Then who's more valuable? You are. You are valuable to God. God loves you. God cares for you. So when you start taking up fretting and worrying, you're telling God, I don't think you love me more than birds. We don't want to say that. I know you don't believe it. But that's what we're saying according to what Jesus is teaching us here. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? How many of you got your refrigerator filled by worrying about it? (laughs) That didn't happen, did it? How many got clothes that showed up because you were worried about them? And by the same token, we haven't added anything to our life by worrying about it. This is what he's saying. It's not going to do you any good. Not helping you. So why do it? It's not going to offer any aid for you at all. And the God of our fathers here, he said, don't do it. What you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Wow. He's bragging about how God made the flowers. How good they look. And don't they look good? We all like flowers, don't we? Go out there and we pick them. We put them in our houses. We like flowers. We like how they, they went about. But the flowers didn't go to Macy's. They didn't go to Kohl's. And they didn't go to the thrift store either. Flowers were clothed by the Heavenly Father. So if the Heavenly Father is doing such a good job with flowers and, and birds, guess what He'll do for you? But what's He say? Don't worry. How many of you have ever seen a flower worry? You know what a flower looks like when they worry? No, because flowers don't worry. Do you know what birds look like when they worry? No, because birds don't worry either. They don't sit there and worry about well, what we're going to eat today. They just go out and find it. That's the attitude we have to have. So when you sit out tomorrow morning, if any of you like to just sit out in the morning and watch the birds or the flowers, just think about, boy, if God cares that much about the birds and the flowers, how much more does He care about me? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Well, I'm sorry, verse uh, 31. Verse 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't sit there and worry about tomorrow. It's not going to help. It just saps you of energy to take care of today. Then when you don't take care of today, you have the day, today's troubles added to tomorrow's troubles. Don't do it. Take care of what's in front of you today. Just get out there and take care of it. Just like the bird. We need food today. Let's go take care of it. They didn't sit back at home, wait for the, you know, the delivery people to come bring the bird seed. They went out and they found some food. They went out and they did some things and God helped them with it. So he says, do not worry. We, uh, I don't know, some weeks back we went over the verses of Scripture that were about this. Do not worry. Jesus all the time said it. Do not worry. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything. Do not worry. Constantly was saying it. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not fear. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not fear. You think he was trying to get a point across. And yet, we'll face something tomorrow. <laughs> and what will happen? Oh, no. What will happen when that goes on? Oh, what about that? It was good to hear Bobby's testimony today. And it's, it's great when we can give God praise and the report comes in as good. But he didn't elaborate on as much when the reports weren't coming in that weren't as good. We've had other people have gotten up and have told some of their responses and their reactions when the report comes in and it's not so good. How many of you all know when the report comes in and it's not so good that, one, that we want to get a little concerned? Worry starts to build up. Fear can start to build up. Build up. When Jesus had the, uh, the man who was going back to his house to take care of his uh, son, uh, son or daughter, I forget which one it was, daughter I think it was, and the news report came. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus immediately said to him, Go ahead and worry. <laughs> Go ahead and fret. It's all right. I understand. Go ahead and have some anxiety about this. This is your daughter. What did he say? Do not fear. Do not fear. All things are possible to him who believes. When we get the bad report, when we get the bad news, we have to remember exactly what Jesus said to the man is exactly what he's saying to us. Do not fear. All things are possible to him that believes. Glory to God. Boy, we serve a good God. He cares about us. We looked at some opportunities last week. We just got as far as Joseph. Joseph had opportunity. We all didn't, didn't see it as much. He got sold into slavery. How many of all see that as an opportunity? That didn't seem like a real great opportunity, but Joseph turned it into an opportunity. And he became the head servant in the household of Potiphar. And then some events happened, and he was put into prison. How many of us would see that as an opportunity? <laughs> no, no opportunity there. But what did Joseph do? He saw the opportunity. And he rose to the heights of the prison so that he was taking care of all the prisoners. And by being in that position, when the opportunity came up and the two guys had the dream, who was in a place to hear that they had a dream? He wasn't locked in the cell away from everybody else. He was out there taking care of everybody. And he got that report and he told them, here's the response to your dream. And that helped down the road put him into place where he needed to be. Joshua. He's the next one we have. So Joseph was the first one. 
Joshua was the next. Joshua had opportunity. He always time had opportunity. Let me take you back in, uh, in this, uh, relating the story. You can go back in the Word of God and look it up on your own. I'm just going to tell it to you real quick. But Joshua went up on the mountain with Moses. How many remember when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? And Moses took Joshua with him. And halfway up the mountain, Moses left Joshua here. He says, you wait here. I'm going to go up and I'm going to speak with God and I'll come back. That's all he said to him. And so Joshua was there on the half, halfway up on the mountain. Moses went the rest of the way. And Joshua was hearing all the thunder all the noise and the cloud that covered the mountain. And then after a while, he begins to hear something else. And down in the, in the valley, down at the bottom of the mountain where the children of Israel are, they were convincing Aaron to build the golden calf. And they had a big party that was going on. And the whole time he's hearing this thing. How many of you would be like Joshua and have concern? Now here's the thing. Joshua was one of the head warriors. He was one of the guys in charge of parts of the army. And when Moses comes down to where Joshua is, because God says, get on down the mountain, the, the, the children of Israel are disobeying. They're sinning. You need to get on down there. And there's a whole lot more that went on between God and Moses about that. We're not going to get into that right now. But anyway, Moses comes on down, and he gets to the halfway spot where he left Joshua, and guess what he finds? Joshua. He's still there. Why? Because Moses said, wait here until I come back. And so Joshua waited there. Now he says the same thing to the children of Israel, but the children of Israel are down there saying to uh, uh, Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. He went up in the mountain. He may not be coming down. So build for us a golden calf, and they'll be our gods, and they'll lead us the rest of the way. Not so, uh, not so good. So they had this party going on, but Joshua does not know it's a party. In the mind of Joshua, he reveals what's going on when he talks to Moses. And Joshua says to Moses, there's noise in the camp, and it's a sound of war. Joshua, who's in charge of the armies, has Moses up there. Moses' command is, stay. Wait here. I'll be back. But now he's hearing, you know, Moses up there. He doesn't hear all the way up there. I'm here. I can hear this. There's a sound of war in the camp. I need to go down and help the people of Israel get out of this battle. That's what he's thinking. Because that's what he tells Moses. He doesn't tell Moses there's a party going on down there. He says to him, it's the sound of war. And Moses corrects them on that. And they get on down. And Moses is upset. You know, he breaks the commandments and breaks the tablets of the commandments and, and uh, deals with the children of Israel. And he goes back on up. But Joshua stayed. How many of y'all know that Joshua had the opportunity to worry and fret? Joshua had the opportunity to not do what Moses said. But he just didn't take it. He didn't take it. He stayed right where he was because that's what Moses said to do. And he did it. That's what we need to do. When God says, do not fear, do not have, have any anxiety about anything, that's what we should do. So he said, do not worry, but there's also a second part to it. Seek first the kingdom of God. So he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Or instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying to do. But very often we skip that part and we just go on to worry. And we try and seek first the kingdom of God and worry. But Joshua, he could have taken that opportunity. He didn't do it. When Joshua, one of the 12 uh, spies that went into the children, the, the children of Israel's new land that God had promised them, 
When they come on out, there's two spies that have a good report and ten spies that have a bad report. Who are the two spies that have the good report? Joshua and Caleb. They all went into the same promised land. They all saw the same stuff. They all saw the same giants. They all saw the same cities. They all saw the same fruit. But ten of them came on out and says, yes, the land is indeed plentiful, but there's giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And Joshua and Caleb both stood up and said, no, we are well able to go and take the land. For our God has delivered them to us. Did they not have the same opportunity that the ten did to worry and to fret and to be in anxiety? But Joshua and Caleb didn't take it. They decided, no, we're going to we're going to go and do what God said. We all have opportunities to do what God said or to worry and to fret. Don't think that your opportunities are any better or any worse than anyone else's. They're different, but they're not worse than anyone else's. And they're not better than anybody else's. We all have stuff that tries to pull us into fret and anxiety. Don't look at someone who doesn't seem to be fretful and anxious and think, well, they don't have a care in the world. No, they just decided to obey. That's all. That's the only difference. That's where we need to be. That's where I need to get to. Where this stuff doesn't cause us any fear, anxiety, or fretting. Here about another person for an example. David. David had opportunity to be fearful and anxious about his life. He had opportunity to be fearful and anxious that God would not bring about the promise of being a king. But he didn't take it. He stayed faithful to God. He stayed right there. We looked at David just a, just a few weeks ago. And we looked at how much his family despised him. And how much they put him out in their pasture and didn't even bring him up when the prophet of God came to meet the sons. And he was left out there. And even after they went through all seven, the prophet had to ask, is there another? Did you leave anyone out? Well, yeah, there's David. You know, he's out there taking care of the sheep. And so they bring him up and he gets anointed. And what do they do after the family sees that the prophet of God anoints David to be king of Israel? What do they do? Send them back, take care of the sheep. Now that's a family who really respects David, isn't it? <laughs> they really respect him. They didn't believe him when he came home and said he killed a bear. They didn't believe him when he came home and, and killed a lion. They saw it as stories. And when Eliab, his older brother, heard him talking about killing Goliath, he says, now come on, hold on a minute. This is a real giant, not one of your fake you know, fake battles that you had there with a dead bear and a dead lion that you came back and told us you killed. Because they were messing with him. They didn't, they didn't believe it. So even up till that day, even though he's anointed to be king, his own brother carries on the same attitude that his father had. And David was sent with the cheeses to bring the cheeses into battle. If you had a son who was anointed as king, would you send him into the battle to deliver cheeses? You wouldn't do it, would you? Now you take this is an, this is an asset. He's going to be king. If he becomes king, what happens to Jesse's family? Good things happen to Jesse's family when they become king, but they still put him back out there in the sheep. We saw that the morning of him taking care uh, defeating Goliath, the morning of he was still watching the sheep, and he put the sheep in the care of someone else. And he comes and he approaches Saul, and Saul says, "You know how are you going to do this?" And he says, "Well, I used to take care of sheep." <laughs> Uh, up until the, he didn't say up until this morning <laughs> he just said I used to take care of sheep he understood my life is changing at this point David continued to look for the opportunities 
even though everyone around him was telling him there's no opportunity, you're nothing, you're no good. He didn't believe him. He believed what God said about him. The Word of God could describe David as having bright eyes. Nothing would dull him. He would not get down at all. Even though his own family seemed like they didn't like him. Or would help him. How about another one with, with opportunity? Daniel. We told you this story before. That, boy, there's so many places you could see Daniel with, with opportunity. But here's one. How many of y'all know Dan, the story of Daniel and the lion's den? One of the most well-told you know, stories. We all learned it when we were kids and then we ignore it when we're adults. But we shouldn't. Because the second most powerful person in the kingdom next to the king at that time was whom? Daniel. Daniel is the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And he heard about the scheme to come and to get him on his prayer time. He heard about that scheme. And he said to himself, we say it in the the Word of God, Daniel wrote the book. When Daniel knew that the men had gone in with the scheme and presented it before the king, and that the king had signed the document, he went into his room, he opened up his windows, and he prayed like he always did. I... You just look at it. You just study that out. When Daniel knew. Daniel knew that all the guys were in there concocting this plan and presenting this before the king. If you were Daniel and you were the second most important person in the kingdom, the second most influential man before the king, how many of you would have been in there and saying, King, they're just trying to get me. Oh, they are? Take them out and hang them. And they would have done it. But it said when Daniel knew. You know why? Because Daniel knew this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. And I am not going to look down on this. They're trying to test me whether I will hold to my three days of going before the Father. Nothing else had ever broken Daniel from it. Nothing else had ever shaken him. We've gone over that with you time and time and time again. How important this was to Daniel. That he he had to tell the king, can't meet with you. Had to tell other dignitaries, can't meet with you. This is my prayer time. And they all knew about it being his prayer time. And they said, this is what we're going to get him on. When Daniel knew, go back and read it. I believe it's um, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 7. I think it's somewhere around there. Anyway, it's a short book. You can find it. When Daniel knew that all this was done, it's when he went out there and he prayed. And of course they came and they, they uh, threw him before the king and the king realized, oh, this was all a trap for Daniel. And he was sad. And they all came back to the king and says, look, you can't get out of it. You signed it. It's a decree. It's a law. So Daniel even said, don't worry about it, king. God will take care of me. And they threw Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel was in there all night. And in the morning they brought Daniel out. The king came running out. Daniel, Daniel, was your God able to preserve you? Yes, king, my God was able to preserve me. I'm here. I'm alive. And they took the men who who did that whole thing and they threw them in the lion's den and the lions ate them up before they even hit the bottom. But you don't get the whole meaning of this from this one passage you get the meaning of it from one of the greatest visions that was ever given to any person at any time in history. One of the greatest end-time visions was given to Daniel. And if you go back through and you look at the years, you look at the time that it was done, that the year that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den is the exact year that Daniel received the vision of the the greatest end-time vision that was ever given. It was the same time. Daniel had an opportunity. He passed the test. 
The enemy came to test him to see if they could shake him, and they could not. And God says, oh, you just passed this test, and now I can put this on you. And he gave him that vision. I don't know if he gave it to him that night in the lion's den or if it was later on. But the Word of God is very clear about it. It was in the same year. Daniel saw an opportunity. This is just one. Daniel saw many opportunities. We have opportunities all the time in our life. We have opportunities to worry. We have opportunities to fret. But there are a select few in the Word of God who have taken those opportunities to fret and to worry and decided, I will not do it. I will believe God. I will trust God. I just listed four of them for you. But your mind, we've gone over so many of these things. I think there's hardly a scripture in the Word of God we haven't covered in the years that you all have been here. Some of you have been here all the 20 years we've been here. Some of you not. But we've covered nearly all of them. You can go through and find them out. People saw opportunities. Other people took the wrong opportunities. Judas took the wrong opportunity, didn't he? <laughs> he took the opportunity for money, not to seek God. Make sure you seek, you seek after the right opportunities. Don't see all the problems that come your way as, oh, why does all this come after me? Look at the opportunity. Father God, I am presented, as Daniel was or as others were, with an opportunity to either fret, worry, and fear or to believe you. And from the people in the Word of God, if I choose to believe you and to trust you, good things await. But if I choose to fear and be anxious, it's not such a good thing. When the disciples were in the boat, we covered this story just a month or so ago. Disciples were in the boat, storm came up, and they uh, battled it like they did for fishermen. But after a while, they got to a place where they, they threw up their arms, we can't, we can't win this. And they went down and they got Jesus all anxious. Do you not care that we die? And Jesus got up, got on the bow of the boat, and he spoke to the wind and the waves. And when that was all done, he turned to the disciples and said, Where is your faith? You had opportunity to not fear and be anxious and you didn't take it. Where is your faith? We use the little battles that we win to get us ready for the big battles. But thank God we are ready. There is nothing that's going to come your way that you are not ready for and that you are not prepared for that you cannot do. Philippians chapter 3. Let's take a look at the ability here. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is, he is able even to subdue all things to Himself. He is able to subdue how many things? All things. Is there anything I or you can face in this life that He cannot subdue? Now we say that because we're in church. How about, how about Monday morning? How about Tuesday night? And but Thursday afternoon, can things come up on those days that we begin to think, I'm not so sure that my God will subdue this one. Let's read it again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. Understand what that means. When we send a dignitary across the sea to another country, I've heard people describe it. Have you ever seen an embassy? A United States embassy in another country? It doesn't matter where it is. If you go over there, they've got a beautiful fence around it. And they have lush green grass growing around the embassy. And it doesn't matter if there is no grass outside. That property is the United States. And it's going to look like the United States. And they make them look nice. And the people that are in the embassy... Who supplies them? 
the United States. So if the country they're in is dirt poor and having a recession, does it affect the people in the embassy? No. Our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Does the economy of this world affect heaven's economy? Dear Lord, no. <laughs> not at all. But we don't always see it that way. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. Oh, good, good, good. Isn't that nice? How many of y'all got some stuff with your lowly body you want to get rid of? <laughs> oh, yeah. According to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Notice what's not mattered here. He doesn't say, because you caused the problem. He's able to subdue all things to Himself. Even though there may be some problems we have in life that we caused. Even though there's some problems we have in life that we didn't cause. Maybe someone close to us caused. Or maybe we have some problems in life that no one caused. It just happened to come upon us. He is able to subdue them all. But how many of you in your own mind have tried to decide, is this a problem that I caused? Or is it a problem that someone else caused? Will God really deliver me from this? I mean, I caused it. I'll tell you, in the area of healing, we get this, this idea. Sometimes, you know, you start sniffling, catching the flu in the, whatever the flu season is. I don't know when it is anymore, but when the, whatever the flu season starts, and you can start feeling that little thing. How many of us begin to think, well, I went out without a coat on the other day. I, shouldn't have, I knew I shouldn't have done that. I went out without a coat on. That's probably why that happened. How many, anybody ever think that? And you begin to think, well, you know, I kind of did, I haven't been eating right. You know, I've been kind of busy and I've been eating this kind of food instead of the other. It's probably my fault. I haven't been eating right. I haven't been eating right. Stop focusing on that. You are healed. Jesus, nowhere in the Word of God says you are healed as long as you eat right. How many saw that in the Word of God? As long as, as, long as you don't go out without a coat on, you're okay. Now, you all know I believe that firmly. I think I own a coat. I do believe, I, I do think I do own a coat. I'm not sure where it is, but I think I do own one. I don't really care if I have a coat on and it's bitter cold outside or not. I'm not catching a cold no matter what I go out wearing. Now, you can catch one if you want to go out without a coat on, but I'm not going to because I was delivered, set free because of the works of Jesus not because I don't go out with a coat on. Beside that, it's a, what they call it, an old wives' tale. It is. It's totally false. It's not right. It's wrong information. You have more resistance to stuff if you go out without a coat on than if you don't. But you're not going to believe me because I'm telling you that. Now, you see, we, I, I practice what I teach. I've never told my son to put his coat on. My wife has. <laughs> and when she says that, I try to just to get in the corner and just kind of, you know, not say anything. But he knows if he goes out with me, I'm not saying a word to him about it. We're just going out. And he's, he, he reacts the same way. He'll go out. Now, he'll go. He gets even a little crazier than I do. He'll go out and stand on the corner. When he used to go to school, he doesn't go to school now. Stand on the corner in the rain without a coat on when it's cold. And we'll say, you know, do you want a coat? No, I'm all right. How are you going to say, you want me to drive you on down there? No, no, I'm fine. But you'll get wet. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Well, I think, I think his attendance this year was probably better than it's been any, any other year yet. 
I don't know that he missed uh, more than one or two days of school. He just, uh, he did fine on that. See, it's in your head. Get that stuff out of your head. The God that you know. Who is the God that you know? Do you know the God who heals people who put their coats on in the wintertime? Is that the God that you know? Do you know the God that heals people as long as you eat right? I'm not telling you to go out there and eat poorly. Operate in wisdom. And if the Spirit of God says don't eat that, don't eat it. That's on a whole other matter. If the Spirit of God comes down on the inside of you and says, put a coat on, put a coat on. But don't do it because people tell you. Listen to the Spirit of God on the inside. Because the Spirit of God will help you with your diet. He'll be telling you, that's something you ought to eat. He knows your body. Listen to Him. Don't disobey that. If, if you do that, then you're in disobedience and that's another issue. Genesis 18, verse 14. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we all say that, but how many of y'all know Monday morning you're going to find something? <laughs> Next week, you're going to come across the problem and you're going to begin to think, this is too hard for God. Right? But today, it's not. Today, we believe that verse. Is there anything too hard for God? No, no, no. Because we're all amongst church people. <laughs> but you know, Monday, you're not around as many church people. Then what's the answer? You ought to just put that up on your refrigerator. Is there, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. She was barren all that time. He says, no, this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Boy, that was going for the other direction. But he says, Is there anything too hard for me? 1 Samuel 14, 6-7, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like us. Hey, you, know, you never know what might happen. God might actually work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Well, we know it wasn't quite as, as it sounds. Jonathan believed that God would do whatever. He said, doesn't matter if we have a whole lot or if we have a little. And so they went into a battle, just him and his armor bearer, and they started slaughtering Philistines. And it just spread to the rest of them. They all got excited and they all said, let's get in this battle too. And it was a great victory for Israel over the Philistines. But it started because Jonathan, Jonathan said, is there anything too hard for God? We need to sometimes ask ourselves that. Is there anything too hard for God? Are you facing something in life right now that is too hard for God? Do you have a circumstance in your life that is too hard for God? We're focusing mostly on money. Is there a money situation that you face right now that is too hard for God? Of course, we all say no, but inside, what do we say? <laughs> it's easy to say no on the outside. On the inside, we're saying, well, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what this is over here. Psalm 68, verse 35. Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is He who gives strength and power to His people. The God of Israel is He who gives strength and power to His people. Blessed be God. He gives strength and power to His people. He gives me strength and power to overcome whatever financial need I have. He gives me strength and power 
to get a better job, to get a raise in my job. He gives me strength and power to get a job. He gives me strength and power to have wisdom to overcome any situation I face with my kids, with my family. He gives me strength and power to do it. Is that the God that you serve? Is that the God that you worship? First Chronicles 29 verse 12, Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is, it is to make great and to give strength to all. He gives strength. We've got to make sure we know the God that the Word of God talks about. The Word that God talks about does not go around killing babies, taking husbands away from families, taking wives away from families. That's not the God that we, that we know. The Word of God tells us that who is it the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So people happen that they get stuff stolen, get things that are killed or destroyed. Who did it? It's Satan. It's not God. Yet he always gets blamed for it. Stop blaming God for that stuff. Stop worshiping that kind of a God. Turn on to the God of the Word of God. The, the one that the Word of God says that every good and every perfect gift comes from? Above. He, he sends every good and every perfect gift. But I'm still out there worshiping another God. I get amazed. I get, actually, I get upset at some Christians that are out there talking about the God who took this away and the God who took that away and the God who did this and the God who ruined that and the God who made me sick. Like, how in the world do you worship Him? And how do you expect other people to worship Him? If God goes around killing babies. and That's not the God that we serve. Yeah, well, I know what's going to happen. All right, well, the enemy gets in and does some stuff. Doesn't the enemy get in and want to kill uh, the, the one man's daughter? And Jesus went in there and said, You know what? This is the will of God. Go ahead and let her die. Now, what happens? Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. First Chronicles 29 verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Oh, the hand of God. Stop seeing the hand of God as doing negative things for you. Taking stuff away that you want. Doing things that you... You would have rather had it this way. It was this way. It must have been the hand of God. It must have been the will of God. We need to quit that. The Word of God talks about God's hand being powerful, doing good things, helping things, especially those that are faithful to Him, especially those that hold up and do what He's, he's commanded. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might. Stop being strong in yourself. Be strong in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. That's what we got to do. But we go out there and we try and be strong in our might. And it doesn't work. And then, oh God, I'm suffering for you. No. Stand up against it. And be talking about it. Father God, I thank You that Your strength and Your might comes to me to get this thing done. No matter what it is. If you've got a job that you have at work and it's overcoming you then you stand up and say, you will not overcome me. I have more wisdom and more power than I need to take care of you. I'm taking you out. I'm taking you down. You are not going to continue on. I'm going to win. I'm going to have the victory in this area. And you speak like that to the thing. The Word of God says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men to almost enough. Scarcely. A little bit at a time. 
What's it say? Liberally. God give, if you need wisdom, you ask God, He gives you more wisdom than you need. So stop going around saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Quit. Get that thing out of your mouth. What does that say about your hope? Hold fast the confession of your hope. What's your hope? I don't know what I'm going to do. What's your hope? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Isn't that my hope? I don't know what I'm going to do. What are you going to do about that? I don't know what I'm going to do. That's your hope, isn't it? I don't know where I'm going to get that. I don't know where that's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to get any better. That's your hope. Hold fast the confession of your hope. What should be the confession of your hope? My God is more powerful than anything I face. My citizenship is in heaven. My economy is based on His economy. My God will come through for me. My God gives me wisdom. My my God gives me riches and honor. That's what my God does. That's the God that we work. Well, it hasn't happened. Well, then stop looking at the past. Hope is not past, is it? Hope is not present. Hope is always future. Always future. If you start directing your hope into the past, it is not God's hope. You have put something else in it. Well, I've always failed that before. I've always not done that before. That's always not come through me before. Your hope is in the past. And that's backwards. Hope is future. I have to see what does the word say about my future? What can I expect to receive from God? That's what I meditate on. And that's what should come out of my mouth. What's going to happen in that situation? If they came to Abraham and they said, you have a name, father of many. How many kids do you have? I have none. I have one. Ishmael. Well, shouldn't you have more kids than that? I mean, if you're going to be a father of many, if you're going to have a name like that, shouldn't you have more kids than that? And he could look at his past, he could look at his present, and he could say, in my past, and that's actually what he did when Jesus first came to him and said, in a year's time, you're going to have a son. And he says, "Uh, no, no, I'm old. I'm looking at my present. It hasn't happened in all this time. I'm looking at my past. But hope is not past and hope is not present. Hope is. And God is telling him, this is what will happen. But he had his eyes set on the past and on the present. If you want to have godly hope, you've got to get your eyes off the past and off the present. On to the future that God has promised. And that's what comes out of your mouth. That's what you speak. That's what you say. Father God, this is what you said. You said the end of my days will be this way. You say the beginning of my days will be this way. You say that this will happen. This will happen. And you begin to confess. You begin to talk about these things. This is what you say for me. And then all kinds of people are going to come out of the woodwork and begin to remind you of your past. Remind you of your present. Remind you of the hindrances that are in your way. And you know what you need to say? This is where my God said I'm going. But it's tough sometimes because there's an awful lot that reminds us of our past and an awful lot that reminds us of our present. And we can lose sight of the hope of the future. Hope is always future. What is in store for you? Not what has happened. Not what is. What is in store for you? What will be coming? Word of God tells you about what that would be. Be strong in Lord and in the power of His might. Psalm 37. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. 
The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. What? In the days of what? In the days of famine. In the days of recession. In the days of economic turmoil. In the days when jobs are scarce. When raises are scarce. What does he say he will do? They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Well, you've got to come down to this. Do you believe the word of God or not? Do you believe the word of God? If you believe the word of God, then you've got to believe this verse. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. Oh, the righteous shows mercy and gives. Oh, but it's a famine time. Doesn't matter. The outlook is different. See, the outlook that God wants us to have is even though we're in a famine time, even though we're in a time when things are scarce, our outlook is not on the past. Our outlook is not on the present. Our outlook is on the future. What has God said? My outlook is on the future. God has said, so you shall reap. Be generous. Give. And I will continue to do that. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like splendor of the meadow, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not repay. The wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous sows mercy and gives. This is where we got We stop, Don't get over in that spot. Get over in this spot. The righteous shows mercy and forgives. Ah, glory to God. That's where we need to be. So a person who shows mercy and forgives, that is a person whose focus is on the future. A person who doesn't is one whose focus is on the past or the present. For those blessed by Him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. Oh, let's get on the blessing side. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and He delights in His way. The steps of a good man. That means I don't know why exactly I went this way, but I'm just following the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm following the leading of God. And I go over here, and I go over here. I'm not sure why I'm over here. I haven't really seen anything come from over here. Joseph is saying, I'm not sure why I'm in the slavery. I'm not sure why I'm in the prison. I'm just I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing everything under the power of God. I, I keep going, and I, I, keep, I seemingly keep moving backwards, but I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And glory to God, he can look back and say, Oh, I see the order. Oh, I see how you brought that about. How many times have we been in a place where a job came to us because we did step one, step two, step three, but we had no idea? That this job was coming because we followed step one, step two, or step three. No, I did. didn't even know they were related. Where do we leave off at? 23? Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. See, even though your steps are ordered of the Lord, you can still fall. But he says, you won't be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Even though you fall, even though you may have done something you shouldn't have done, even though you fell down. God says, come on, get back up. God is not there saying, oh, you fell. Stay down there. I'm going to kick you too and get you down there even more. That's not the God that we serve. The God that we serve walks with us. And if we stumble and we fall, He reaches down and grabs us. Come on, let's go. Let's get back up. 
But see, the devil is trying to sell us on a different God who kicks us when we're down. Who says, you're not good enough to be in my family. But that's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that we have. Though we fall, he shall, utterly, he, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He, has, he is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can go back and hold that, all those verses in front of God. Says, Father God, this is what you said. This is what's in your word. I thank you. Oh, glory to God. Don't do it the other way. Don't fret and be in anxiety and say, Oh, Father, I need to be here. I, I need to be like this and I'm not. But you said you'd make me. Oh, come on, God. That's not, that's not right. What you do is you read it over and say, Father God, you just described my future. Oh, glory to God. That's where I'm going. That's what I... Oh, I thank you, Father God. I just begin to thank Him now. Don't forget, we, we did a whole series on being thankful. Don't forget all that stuff. Walk before God and be thankful. Father God, I thank you that you have done these things. And someone might hear you say that. And they say, he hasn't done that for you. Oh, yes, he has. He's promised it to me. And he's faithful to bring it about. Because our, our text scripture for this whole thing comes out of Hebrews 10.25, which says, Hold fast the confession of our hope, not our faith, our hope without wavering for... He who promised is faithful. Ah, oh, he who promised is faithful. So we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. And so we get out there and we say, Father God, I thank you that you, your seed doesn't get out there and beg bread. I thank you that you take care of the needs of me even more than you take care of the needs of the birds and the flowers. I thank you that you do that. And we just go around thanking them, thanking them. Th- Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you that you're taking care of my finances. I thank you that you give me wisdom to operate with the money I have. I thank you that you give me opportunities for jobs that I haven't even seen yet. And we just go around thanking them, thanking them. And then the thoughts come on the inside of us. You don't have a job yet. You don't have a better job yet. You don't have a pay raise yet. You don't have extra money yet. What's it trying to do? Bring us down into worry and anxiety. Remember we talked to you about Adam and Eve. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he doesn't present himself as doing that. He presents himself like he does with Eve and say, God, Has God really said not to eat of the tree? See, he just knows that you'll become as God, knowing both good and evil. He doesn't want that for you. They didn't recognize it as something to steal, kill, or destroy. They saw it as something I'm being deprived because up till then, all they knew was good. But now they get to know good and evil. How many want to go back to the other part? I'd rather just know good. I'd rather not know good and evil. I'd rather just know good. But now we got to know good and evil. Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So there's a lot more to it than just going over there and confessing the Word. I've got to obey God. I've got to do what God says. When God says, go this way, I go that way. When God says, do this, I do it. Because the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So when He says, step here, go here, I do it. But He says, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. How many of us have assumed the position of the tail? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> We've assumed the position of the tail. I just say, I'm just happy to be part of the dog. You know? 
I'm just so glad to be, be part of the thing. That even the tail. Oh, just even, you know, just a, something on the tail end of it. Oh, I'm just happy with that. No! He says, I've called you to be the head, not the tail. That's what I've called you to be. But the devil's got us sold on a bill of goods and says, oh, you're just there for barely get along. Just there just to, you know, you never know if God wants to take care of you or not. You could be in this poverty situation. You could be in this lack of money situation because God wills it. He's trying to teach you something. Get out of that. Verse 20, in verse 44, the same chapter, it talks about the enemies. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. And he shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Why? Because you didn't obey. You didn't follow after the things of God. Follow after the things of God. Do what he said. And again, in Proverbs chapter 16, and verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Oh, can you imagine that God can make even your enemies at peace with you? When a man's ways please the Lord. How does a man's ways please the Lord? When you do as God says. When you let God ordain your steps. When you stop looking at your past. And stop bringing it up to God. Oh, Father God, I'm sorry I let you down over here. Oh, Father God, I messed up over here. Oh, Father God, I'm a sinner here. Oh, now quit it. Stop looking at the past. Stop looking at the present. Look to the future. Our hope is, once again, I'm going to keep saying this there. Our hope is always future. Hope is never based on past or present. It is based on a promise for the future. That's God's kind of hope. What has God promised you for your future? What has God promised that you are going? What has He said? That's what you've got to find out. Wherever it is that you go, whatever it is that you do, taking on a new job, going to school, taking on a new project, whatever it is that God has, God has a promise for you. Your hope is based on the promise of God. Not your past experience, not other people's past experience, and not what other people think God ought to do. It is based upon His promises in His Word. And there is no substitute and there is no excuse for not knowing what they are. Know what God has promised you. If you don't know enough of the Bible to find out what it is that God has promised you, team up with someone who does. Because there's plenty of people who know the Word. Team up with someone that does and say, Can you help me? I need this. Where's some verses of Scripture on that? And let them help you out. Let them build you up. Find out what the Word has promised. And then you go and you have a confession based on that. That's what we always ask, tell you over and over. Ask for something. We want you to come in here in church and say, You know what? If you just lay hands on me, this thing will go. If you will pray for me, I'll have wisdom in this situation. And then you can go out from there and say, I, I had hands laid on me, I'm healed. The power of God came in on me, and I'm healed. And you can go from that point on. I know that's when I asked. And you asked, and you received what you needed to have. God desires good things for you. Remember Oral Roberts came out with that, uh, that thing. God is a good God. Oh, how simple it is. But you know what? A lot of people didn't know it. They thought God was a bad God. Out there killing babies and taking husbands and wives home early. Leaving families with no one to provide for them. That's not God. That's not what He's out there doing. Who is the God that you serve? Who is the God that you know? That's the God you're going to worship. That's the God who's going to base your, your future, your hopes. Who is the God that you serve? Do you serve a loving God? you serve a God who is righteous and holy? 
but loves us who are not? Who is the God that you serve? Make sure it's based upon the picture the Word of God gives us. Oh, because He loves us. He loves us so much that when we were still sinners, the Word of God says, He sent His Son to die for us. Not when we became righteous. When we were still sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. Glory to God. Would you all stand up with me? I ask you to bow your head as we pray here, as we end this here this morning. If you are here today and you say, I have got some wrong ideas about what God has for my future. I have, I have not allowed the thinking of the Word of God to penetrate me and take me over. I'm hung up on my past. I'm hung up on where I am right now. And I cannot see what God has promised me because I only see who I am and where I came from. I only see my past failures at work, my past failures at school, my past failures in the job market, my past failures with finances, my past failures with whatever it is that you are conscious of. God does not sit there and hold that over you. God says, here it is. Here's where you can go. Here's what's ahead for you. We want to pray for you here this morning. If you're here today and you say, you know, I've had the wrong hope. I've not had scriptural hope. I've had the wrong hope. And I've had my hope based more on my past and my present than I have from the Word of God's promises about my future. If that describes you, raise your hand. We want to pray for you here this morning. All right, a couple of hands up. We want to pray for you. We want to take care of that with you. We don't want that going on with it anymore because God wants us to get over, get over that. I'd like to be able to tell you that I, I can stand here completely free of anything that's going on in the past. I've had failures in the past. I've had things that haven't gone on so well in the past. And every once in a while, they still come up and, and I begin to think, well, that hasn't worked out so well. Maybe it won't ever work out again. Maybe it won't come. To, no, get out of that. We've got to get out of that way of thinking. We've got to get saturated in what the Word of God has to say. What does the Word of God promise us? What does the Word of God say? Glory to God. I'm going to pray for you this morning. If you want to stay there in your chair and I just pray for you from up here, that's fine. If you want to come up here to the front, we lay hands on you and pray for a, you. Tell us what your specific situation is. We can pray for you exactly on that. We can do that too. Whichever way you want, I'll ask you right now. If you raised your hand or if you thought about raising your hand and you want to come on up and be prayed for for those hopes to be shaped by the Word of God and not by your past and not by your present, just walk on up here to the front. We'll pray for you. You can also just stay there in your seat. We can pray for you there as well. Whichever way you want. One more thing we want to pray for. How many of you have ever have, are still hung up with the thought that God does not have great things for you? That God sometimes wants us to suffer through poverty and sickness and disease and things like that. How many still have those thoughts in there? I still think God wants to go through all that sort of stuff. Anybody? Yep. Okay, well, there's one. Anyone else? We still, oh, I'll tell you what, they can still work their way in. Even sometimes we've shaken them free and they still come on back on there and get us. We want you to be safe, totally free of that too. If you want prayer for that, come on up here to the front or stay back right where you're at. We'll pray for you over there. I saw who raised their hands and I can pray for you either way. All right. Bruce, you got something you can put on back there? Or if you uh, want to, put on that uh, um, that second song we put on, on the on the video one. That's, that's a good song to have in the back. You all are in your seats. You all... 
be here and pray with us? We want to pray, to, pray together. Because we all need to get our thinking changed. God wants to help us do that. Glory to God.